Our opening and closing theme is by Midnight Syndicate. For more dark instrumental music like it, visit www.midnightsyndicate.com or find them on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or Alexa. True crime stories are discussed in this podcast, which may contain graphic and disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Freshly Brewed Noir. I'm Summer. And I'm Jennifer. And this is episode 36, Alexander Spezovsev. <laughs> you got this it, is, you got it. This is our second recording of this episode. We made it right to the end, mm-hmm. and then Audacity decided to shut down on us. Yeah. Jennifer looked over and was like, is it still recording? What's happening? <laughs> so we tried to pause record, and Audacity didn't like that. And after, what, about 25 minutes of trying to recover our episode, it's gone. Yeah, we just decided it's probably just in the ether somewhere. Yeah. We're just going to have Scrapped to record it. it. So here we go. we got to go through all this again, and this is disgusting. But at least now you know what, what to I expect. know what to expect. So if I seem underwhelmed and I don't uh, respond how a person would normally respond, then that's because I've already been through this episode. You've uh, experienced it authentically yeah. in the previous. In the previous one, yeah. And Jennifer has a new dog. I do. Yes. She's pretty quiet now. We <laughs> talked about it in the <laughs> in the first episode. She was running around trying to sniff at the door and playing with her toys, but she's napping now because we've been in here a while. <laughs> <laughs> so you probably won't hear any grunting or yeah. running around. No. But yeah, she's great. Her name is Dolce. She's, she's adorable. Little German Shepherd mix. Yeah, we think she may have, what is it, Brindle Boxer or something? Yeah. She's so cute. We've put pictures of her in our stories. There'll be many more to come. We'll definitely post more mm-hmm. pictures because she's um, like coffee colors. <sighs> so cute. So it works out. And she's got her little white gloves like she's, she's an investigator a lady. or something. Yeah. Oh, investigating a crime scene? Could be, like yeah. Like who took the last coffee? Well, it might have been one of us. It probably was. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so... Those are our updates. I mean, summer fell. She's bruised up. She's here. She made it. And you've had renovations. I've had renovations. Mm -hmm. And now we're here to give you a half-calf episode. But it will still disturb you. Yes. We come through with the disturbing content. Yeah. Look at my coffee's almost gone. I had a full cup of coffee last episode. It's just just ice (laughs) at that point. Just melted ice. (laughs) All right. Well, you ready for this again? I guess so. (laughs) Thanks, Audacity. The audacity of audacity. Yeah, it's showing itself right now. At least it was on a short episode, so take our blessings where they fall. I know. (laughs) All right. Well, Alexander Spezistov was a cannibalistic serial killer in Russia known as the Siberian Ripper and the Novokutsnitsk monster. He was born on March 1st, 1970, and would later be given the nickname Sasha. And we had a cute little spiel about how we are taking it back to episode oh, one. Diatlo, yes, because we love Sasha, but we don't love this Sasha. But you call him Alexander through the episode, don't you? Or no. do you call him Sasha? I call him Sasha. I blacked it all out now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's a little traumatic. <laughs> so he was underweight when he was born and would get sick frequently throughout his childhood. His personality was described as antisocial, and it was said that he didn't have many friends and would be bullied at school. This caused him to be reclusive and withdrawn. His mother, Ludmila, was said to be an affectionate mother towards her son, but his dad was an abusive, cheating alcoholic who eventually either left his family or was kicked out of it. And it's not clear which it was, but it sounds more like the mother was the one who 
kicked him out. His mother, his older sister, Nadezda, and he would share a small one-bedroom apartment, and he would share a bed with his mother until he was about 12 years old. As a kid, he would commit petty crimes such as theft or committing vandalism on concrete walls of their apartment building. His mom would vehemently defend him during these times, stating that there must have been a reason for why he did it, or she'd just claim that he was innocent. And it's noted that they do have, like, a strange bond. Like, they're close in a strange way. His mom worked as a head of a maintenance team at a local government school, but was later fired for stealing plumbing supplies. She would then work as an assistant in a local prosecutor's office. I didn't even catch that plumbing part the first time around. Because <laughs> that comes into play later on. Oh, it does, yes. Yeah, I didn't even catch that. She was... <laughs> they have issues with some plumbing stuff, huh? Uh-huh. Is that why she stole them? This was even before, before all that? that happened, yeah. Wow. Okay, we'll get into that later. Yep. His sister worked in the courts as a secretary for a local judge. They worked together and were well-liked. His mom had a fascination with true crime. She had access to crime scene photos and would sneak them home to show Sasha. They were typically violent scenes, and he would learn about criminal cases instead of reading books. No, Dr. Seuss. <laughs> no. Look at this bloody picture of this murder scene. Started that true crime fascination early in life. This became sort of a routine for them after work, and then they would save their favorites in a scrapbook. Which we decided, no, we're not doing a crime scene scrapbook. No. No. That's disturbing. And it just takes it to a, another level. Like, why would you mm -hmm. want to keep these violent photos to look fondly back at them? Yeah, and now that I'm hearing all this again, I really can see how the mother, she had some things going on. She was not right. Yeah, because and she probably is a big reason, you know, as turned to why out the he, way he, he did. Yeah, I'm seeing this now. See, maybe it's good to take another trip down this one. Yeah, everything kind of like makes more sense. It makes more sense because the first time we recorded this episode, I was wondering how can she do what she ends up doing? And I just didn't see where that came from. But now I'm putting it together. Like this may have been something in her for a while. It absolutely was. Yes. When he was 18, it was noted that he struggled mentally, constantly having mental breakdowns, which required hospitalization. This is also when he would begin to have an obsession with murder. When he was released, he got his own apartment and a dog. His mother and sister would visit him and bring him food and money. While he was on one of his dog walks, he met Eugenie Gusnikova. She was 17 years old, and they chatted and they got along great. Soon after this, they ended up dating, and this would be the start of his first real relationship. He charmed her with his romantic side by reciting poetry to her, bringing her gifts, and taking her on nice long walks. They spent a lot of time together, and she was over so much that they basically lived together. As time went on, the charming side of him faded, as it usually does, right? Mm -hmm. When you're a uh, love-bombed, as they call it. <laughs> <laughs> and then they would start to argue more, and he would hit her. It's not clear whether this was a reoccurring thing or if this was just a one-time thing. But once she was fed up, Eugenie broke up with him. Sasha was angered by this and refused to accept the breakup. She tried to leave his apartment, but he attacked and overpowered her and then chained her to a radiator. He held her captive in his apartment and tortured her for weeks. 
Her parents eventually reported her as missing, and when the police went to question Sasha about her whereabouts, they found her covered in bruises and bed sores. She was able to recount the horrific situation to law enforcement, but would sadly pass away from sepsis due to the infection in her wounds. Police arrested Sasha, and he was charged and convicted for the murder of his ex-girlfriend. He was committed to Oriole Special Psychiatric Hospital, where they discovered he had a high IQ and was diagnosed with schizophrenia. He responded well to medication and treatment, even though he maintained an angry demeanor. However, because of a clerical error, which resulted in him having no supervision or follow-up care, he only spent three years in the hospital. There was no record of his discharge, and he was a free man after this. This would lead to everyone believing that he was still in the care of the hospital. But I don't see how they can mess that up so bad. I mean, that's a big whoopsie. <laughs> Letting yeah. out the murderer. People make mistakes all the time, but that is just a big that's one. That's a big to one. Make. Imagine how the person who made that error feels knowing, like, all the people that end up dying because yeah. of it. If they even know or care. Right. Once he was out, he returned to his apartment. Even though his mom continued to help him, he still resorted to committing theft and selling cigarettes for money. In his spare time, he'd chat and share a drink with people who were homeless and discuss topics like politics and philosophy. His favorite topic to discuss would be democracy and capitalism, and pinning it as the reason for Russia's struggles. He would begin to blame homeless people and unsupervised children for the flawed system and would call them debris that needed to be cleaned up. He viewed them as future drug leaders and prostitutes. And from that time, I think that's when he started his crusade. His crusade to help them, right? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> so we should state that during this time, the city was struggling economically. Unemployment was at a high, which caused homelessness to rise. This city was formerly a steel town, getting most of its business through factories and coal mines. But with the implementation of capitalism, those businesses went bankrupt. The struggle of finding a consistent job that paid a livable wage left most people barely able to keep a roof over their heads and food on the table. Poverty was at a high and kids were left to roam the streets, trying to escape abusive households. While some parents were working long hours, children were left unsupervised to fend for themselves. Children roaming in the streets was not uncommon, and so when kids started to go missing, it went unnoticed and basically assumed that they were runaways. Most people were mainly trying to focus on surviving. In the summer of 1996, women were washing their rugs near the Abba River and were horrified to find a floating human head in the water. Over the next few weeks, heavily decomposed heads, torsos, and arms would wash up in the banks. More decomposed, dismembered human remains were found in a vacant lot and were determined to be the remains of 15 children between the ages of 3 and 14. Was it a coincidence that this location was also nearby the school where Ludmila, his mother, worked? We will find out. We will. We did earlier. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and uh, it made sense. Things came together. Obviously, the economy is struggling right now. And sadly, it was not uncommon for all these kids to be in the streets. They would go yeah. missing and sometimes just assume to be runaways. And it just really was not a priority. Because everyone was just trying to survive. 
Yeah. So that wasn't on their list of things to do by missing children. Exactly. But let's return to Sasha earlier in the year. In February 1996, he met a 20-year-old woman, Elena Tranova, at a train station. They talked, and he eventually persuaded her to come home with him where they would have consensual sex. So we should talk about when Sasha was held in the psychiatric hospital, he told his roommate to sew a pellet into his penis because he believed that he would have a better erection and would be able to... we lost all the penis talk. (laughs) (laughs) We had some good penis talk. Yeah. But yeah, so he, he thought that by doing this surgery, he would be able to help himself and the woman. But we found out he actually sewed it more into his balls than he did right. the actual penis. And so... And he had this done by his roommate in the psychiatric hospital. So they obviously built a <laughs> lot of trust. They, they were like, let's do this. Let's do this. this. Sounds like a good idea. Mm-hmm. He just dropped his pants and said, hey, I have something I need you to do. That gladly <laughs> will help you with this. Give me the needle. I'm here for you. <laughs> so, and we and I think we were just trying to think about first of all, you know, the pain that comes along with this. Yeah. Like, why would you? But want does to that? Do this? But does that area have a lot of pain? I would think so. Does it? But I don't know. I Maybe we to ask a like male. <laughs> <laughs> you males out there, <laughs> let us know if that sounds painful. Yeah, but we don't know exactly where he sewed it. Some say it was in the penis, and then some say it was in the balls, or closer to the balls. Yeah, so I don't know. We don't have those parts, so we can't really speak to that. I just imagine it's a sensitive area, and either of those... And men act like it's a sensitive area, I would assume. (laughs) It is a sensitive area. But he thought it would help him sexually to pleasure women. He did. He did. Although, you know, this did end up backfiring on him because now he had chronic inflammation and erectile dysfunction. Not what he was looking for. The exact opposite of what he was looking for. Now... You know, the woman, when she found this out, she laughed because, you know, either of shock or from finding it funny. I don't know. <laughs> she laughed at him, though, when she saw it. She did. Yeah. And this did not please it him. didn't go over well, did it? You know, he mm. was enraged and he attacked her. He held her hostage and he beat her and tortured her. And unfortunately, she ended up dying. Soon after this, he lured another woman to his apartment, which ended up in the same treatment. She wasn't impressed by... The pellet. (laughs) Would he just be like, hey, check this out when they come over? I don't know if he showed it off like that, or it's the first thing they noticed, you know? Just one of those things. I don't know. Women don't usually want to see your balls anyway. It's not like the first... No, we're not like, hey... Kind of avoid, like, looking at that, right? <laughs> right. Jennifer's never been like Summer, so this guy's balls. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really no. looking for pellets or anything. No. Probably just came across like, all Is wrong. that supposed to be there? <laughs> is that something I should be worried about? Yeah, it is something. Am I going to get an about. STD? Right. <laughs> but when you find out it's intentionally supposed to be there, maybe that's... And that's a little scary. And that's when the... Uh, Uncomfortable laughter. That's that's when you leave the house and then you laugh in your car. That's when you're like, I forgot I have to go feed my dog. Yeah, excuse me, I need to prep for this situation. I'll be right back. And never return. And never, ever return to that. That's our take on it. Yeah, 
So after this, neighbors noticed screams and loud music playing, but they were also aware of his mental state and thought maybe the screams were coming from him. Which makes sense. I yeah. can see them thinking that. In the spring of 1996, he encountered six boys playing in a vacant lot. He asked them to help him burglarize an apartment and he would pay them. They agreed and he led them to his apartment pretending to pick his own lock. He told them to run to the bedroom where the valuables were, and that's where he would stab them and kill them. When they were dead, he piled their bodies on one side of the bedroom and placed a cloth over them. He would leave their bodies there for four days before dragging them out into the hallway. So he is still sleeping in the bed, and right across the room is Six pile. dead little boys. Yes, just covered in a bloody cloth. His mom visited him a week later and saw the bodies of the deceased children. What do you think she did at this point? Well, I know what she did. But listeners, what do you think she did? (laughs) What's the normal response? Because you would think it would be, oh my God, what's happened here? And then when you know... Maybe call the police? uh, Or get out of the house and then call the police or something. But no, what was her response? So her actual response was... To chop them up and then put the dismembered pieces into buckets and dump the remains into the Abba River. This would be the start of when she would begin to partake in her son's crimes. So, Do you think she was excited? Like, okay, I planted the seed with all these crime scene photos, with him as a kid, showing him murders, and then finally... I he, wonder, yeah. Fine, yes. So she's like, now I'm in it and he's in it and we can actually carry this out ourselves, like in person. It's not on a piece of paper anymore. Uh, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. See, now going back at a second time, I'm like, hey, I wonder if this was like part of her plan to create a serial killer. I mean, it definitely could have been. Part of me also wonders if maybe she was just trying to do whatever she could to protect her son. Chop up bodies? Uh, Yeah. It's hard for anyone to, like, rationalize this. Yeah. So she would use her looks as a small elderly woman to her advantage and would lure kids up to his apartment. When Sasha was done raping, torturing, and murdering the victims, she would then chop up the bodies and dispose of the remains by burying them in vacant lots or dumping them in the river. The body count of the victims would add up faster than she would be able to dispose of them, however, because they lived on the ninth floor and they never took the elevator for whatever reason. So she would be taking these buckets and going up and down nine flights flights of stairs. Wow. So this is probably another factor into why she would begin to cook the body parts in soups and stews, which they would eat. So she was tired of taking buckets of body parts down the stairs? Yeah, she was like, there are too many bodies. That's a lot of work for me. So we'll just cook them? Yeah, that's probably easier in her mind. But then she didn't just cook them. Wouldn't they also consume what they cooked? They sure would. And I guess if you're hungry, if you have no food. No, no, no. That's probably what I'm telling you. That's probably her rationale there. Mm -mm -mm. She's like, you know what? No. I don't want to get a job, so... Let's I don't just... think... No, I think that something's wrong with her to be I, like... Absolutely. Let's cook these people and let's eat them after we murder them. It's just like, it keeps escalating. You don't believe that this would happen, first of all. And then she is supporting it and chopping them up and then cooking them and then eating them? Yes. 
but she is probably in her mind making it okay. She's like, we're hungry. We might as well do this. Not saying that that is okay and that makes sense, but to her, maybe. I don't buy it. She liked this. And she may have. They'd also feed the body parts and bones of the victims to his dog. Now back to the summer of 1996, when the number of missing children would rise and body parts were being found in the river and vacant lots, these bodies could not be identified without DNA testing. And in that time, in Soviet Russia, DNA tests were too expensive for the police department to afford. Unfortunately, some of these kids would not be identified. In late September, three more girls went missing. 15-year-old Olga Geltseva and her friends Nastia, who was also 15, and Zenya, who was 13. The parents of these children notified police of their disappearance. As police were canvassing the area, the shopkeeper recalled seeing an old woman approach the girls, and after speaking to her, they took the woman's bags and left with her. It was speculated that they were helping the older woman with her groceries. Based on the description from the shopkeeper and the fact that she was on foot shopping, police deduced that she must have lived nearby. So a month would go by after the girls disappeared, and a plumber who worked at the apartment needed to enter Sasha's apartment in order to unclog a drain, but the resident would not let them in. So the plumber called the police, and when they arrived, they were told to leave because he had a mental issue and could not handle having visitors. And I think, like, you're the one who called it immediately. Oh, when we recorded the first time, I was like, there's body parts in the pipes. And you That's what's know. clogging the pipes. And I didn't know yet. But she was right. Well, because I knew they weren't just putting stuff down the drains. I just, I mean, how could you they not You didn't think it be... was just all being dumped in the river? Nope. I knew that she was carrying stuff down nine flights of stairs. She got tired, so she started dumping stuff down toilets or, yes. Well, police did not accept the excuse that this person was giving, and so they kicked the door down. When they got into the apartment, they immediately smelled the stench of rotting flesh. The walls were covered in blood. A human rib cage was stripped of its organs and was sitting on the carpet in the living room. The missing head would later be found floating in the apartment's water tank. <sighs> I forgot about that. So yeah. Gross. It's a disturbing thought. They saw the dog chewing on a human bone. There was a human torso laying in the tub, and on the couch was a girl covered in blood and stabbed multiple times. It was Olga, and she was barely alive, and she was rushed to the hospital for treatment. Police found over 80 pieces of bloody clothing, 40 pieces of jewelry, and Polaroids of naked victims chained to the radiator. They also found Sasha's diary. There is a documentary on YouTube about this guy. Um, I think it must have been filmed in the 90s. It's in Russian. It's got English subtitles, and it shows the victims. It shows the interview with Olga, and it's all surreal to watch. So if you do decide to watch it, just be aware that it is graphic. When police spoke to Olga, she said she and her friends were out shopping when an old woman came by looking for help with her bags. They agreed to help her, and when they got inside the apartment, Sasha attacked them with a knife. Nastia tried to fight back, and that made him so angry that he killed her immediately. He then chained Olga and Zenya to the radiator right next to their deceased friend. He kept them captive for a month, beating, raping, and burning them with cigarettes. He made fun of them 
when they would cry and told them to ask God for forgiveness for what was being done to them and forced them to cut the flesh off of their friend's body and eat it. He disemboweled Nastia's corpse in front of them and flushed her intestines down the toilet. That is believed to be what caused the plumber to be called. He commanded his dog to attack Senya, and it tore the girl's throat, which killed her. He then told Olga to dismember her friend's body, and he had his mom cook her flesh in a soup, which he forced Olga to eat. Olga said that Sasha's mom and sister knew what was happening and would ignore the bodies of the victims that were rotting at this point. They would even eat some of the soup made from her friend's bodies, and unfortunately, after she gave this statement to police, she died shortly after. That's just so horrific. It's uh, the stuff of nightmares. You would never imagine something like this. And when they are talking to her, she's so weak, and she has to, like, relive that in her last moments, which is so horrible to think about. Police showed up at Sasha's apartment and kicked his door in. He climbed out the window and fled. They went to Ludmila's home and arrested her. Three days later, they found Sasha by the entrance of his house, cold and hungry, and they arrested him. He probably couldn't survive out there. They both confessed to their crimes. In Sasha's diary, he described killing 19 people, but based on the multiple clothes found at the apartment, police suspect there could have been upwards of 80 victims. Sasha said that there were so many body parts in his fridge that he couldn't even shut the door, and this caused him to smile. He and his mom are seen disagreeing about her involvement during police interrogation. Ludmila insists that her involvement was only that she helped dispose of the bodies, but Sasha disagreed and said that she would be the one to entice the victims to come to his apartment. Which I think we're both on the same page when we say... I think she did. She totally had her own part to play in this. Like, she wasn't just, like the person to, like, be scared and clean up after him. She said, though, that she did it in fear for her own life, knowing that her son had a desire to kill, thinking that she could be next. While they were arguing about the details, if you did not know what they were talking about, you would think that they were discussing something as simple as him not doing his chores. It just seems like they're just bickering about... It's like an everyday conversation. Yeah, like, no, you're the one who didn't put the body parts in the right place and, you know, just... (laughs) It's just a surreal discussion. You're like, is this really happening? they just seem to normalize it. Yes. So at trial, Sasha recanted his confession, and without that, prosecutors could only link him definitively to four murders. He was ruled insane by the court and sent to Kamishen Regional Hospital, said to be a high-security mental institution where he still resides to this day at 52 years old. It wasn't clear how long his sentence was, because whenever you look it up, there's no definite time frame. But it seems to me that in Russia, when you are convicted, but also found mentally ill, you're committed to a psychiatric hospital. And until you are considered cured of this mental illness, you can then serve the rest of your time in prison. But... I don't know if this is something that he'll ever be cured of. It does not sound like he suffers from something that can be quote-unquote cured. Maybe managed with some very good medications and then still kept in that mental hospital. Yeah. But this does not sound like something that 
somebody just recovers from. Seems like he definitely has the urge to kill. Yeah, he's, and... he's a child rapist and murderer, and he eats them. Yeah, that doesn't seem like something that would just go away. So it, to me, it seems like he will probably be in there the rest of his life. Ludmila took the police to the various sites where she dumped the bodies. She was found guilty of being an accessory and sentenced to 15 years in prison. In 2008, she was released, having only spent 13 years, and then she and her daughter would move away from the city. Do you think she got a fair sentence? No, but, I mean, also, he was let out after the first murder by but that technicality. Was a, that was a clerical error. They were not supposed to let him out. So she got 13 years? 15, but she only served 13. As an accomplice to murder. Yeah. No, Personally, I, I, I think, think she should be in there for life, too. She helped him with yeah. this stuff. So I totally think that she... She got a very easy sentence. She got sentence. way... Is she still alive? Off. I think so. I think she is. Okay. Because um, she moved away with her daughter and her neighbors post about her whereabouts on social media. They do? Yeah. To keep an eye on her. Like on YouTube and... I think like on Instagram or Twitter or something. Really? They tweet about her? They post about her like... You're going to have to find some tweets and we can put it in our stories. Well, that may be hard to track down, <laughs> but we'll see. In Russian. Yeah, considering I can't read Russian. <laughs> I told you, get on Duolingo with all these episodes you're pulling in. All you need to I learn Russian, yes. At this point. <laughs> <laughs> now, his sister, Nadezda, was not charged, even though she was seen entering the apartment while these crimes were happening. She was given a psychiatric test. And we assume that everything looked fine because she was freed after. The apartment where these crimes took place was locked up and never rented out again. Good. And it said that an evil presence is rumored to linger there. How could it not? Yeah. I can only imagine, like, the horror that happened in that place. Yeah. So I don't think anyone should live there. Or would want to. Right. Except for maybe another serial killer. It is said that Sasha's neighbor had put in multiple complaints about the horrid stench coming from his apartment. And apparently, he would blast his music and it would bother his neighbors. But police completely ignored these complaints because they saw it as more of a cleanliness and civil problem rather than a criminal one. No officers ever went out to investigate these complaints, and they didn't even bother to look up the history of the residents living there. If they had done so... They could have discovered that he was convicted of murder back in 1991 and could have possibly saved many lives. They could have saved a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of kids. Now, this is a quote from the LA Times article from 1997 that I thought was interesting about the perspective from the time in Russia. Konstantin A. Bogdanov, a folklore expert at the Academy of Science, attributes these cannibal cases to a society rooted in Marxism and compares them with fruitinized accounts of sexual abuse in the U.S. media. Quote, In the States, people are trying to move on from the thinking of Sigmund Freud, the idea that people's basic mechanism of interaction is sexual. So an American who wants to express his rage at his society will typically do so through sexually defiant behavior, like rape, child abuse, and sexual harassment. But here in Russia, what we're all trying to escape is Marxism. And Marx believed that people always interacted socially as classes or groups. 
When people here want to find a way to manifest rage against their surroundings, they express their deviance socially. And what could be a pure form of antisocial behavior than eating people? Quote. That's interesting, but I don't know, because like we were saying, it was a sexual crime, too, for him. There is sex involved in these crimes, yes. It's just an interesting perspective. I feel like everything is, in the U.S., more focused on acts of sex. But I think that's true in a lot of countries. I think that's true of a lot of crimes that men commit. That's true, yes. And so I don't know if it's necessarily them acting out against society. You have a lot of people in high positions who commit sexual crimes. And they love the society they're living in. Yeah, And if we think about it, it seems like the only reason cannibalism came into this was because of his mother. Like, his mother's the one who ended up cooking. Right, not him. Yeah. What does that say about her? So she's acting out against society? Maybe. She's, I mean, she's got her handful of issues. She's got her own issues, right. A quote from Vladimir K. Romanov, the prison governor, stated... Quote, people have taken it quietly. Everyone here is too busy trying to get a hold of the next crust of bread to worry about Spezistev. So Yeah, they were all just focused on survival, so they don't care about what's happening to him or why he committed his crimes. Yeah. They're just trying to survive. That's what it sounds like, yeah. That kind of also was an interesting perspective to hear. Like, we're too busy to figure this out. Too busy, too hungry to worry about a serial killer. That's sad, though. Yeah. So this statement does put into perspective the state of the economy at the time. They were just trying to focus on survival, and things must have already been very difficult. So some had to take loss in a passive manner in order to cope and not expect justice. The victims' families did state that law enforcement and prosecutors couldn't be bothered and literally threw one of them out of their office. There were multiple serial killers in Russia at that time, so it's also hard to determine an exact number of murders that he committed. So but they think upwards of 80, you yeah. said? But he only admitted to 19, right? Yes, but then he took that back. And said, I didn't kill anybody. Right, and then they could only prove that he definitely killed four people. So is he the most prolific serial killer in Russia to date? I think the most prolific is Andre Chikatilo, but he is often compared to him, even though he's actually not as known Yeah, I hadn't heard about him before. No, I've heard about him twice. You have? In one day. (laughs) I was actually trying to find somebody else to cover. I was looking for the serial killer who enticed people into his diner and then would make them into, like, hamburger meat and serve them to his customers. And that sounds like an interesting one, too. He, I think, is an American serial killer. Of course. Because we have the weirdest, don't we? (laughs) We've got some weird ones, yes. But I think I may still look into that one at some point. Yeah. Like special of the day. (laughs) Some are maybe like, you just love to cover the cannibals. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you've covered, is it two or now three cannibals? Um, Issei was Fezestev. Futoshi's episode, was that? He made people eat. There was that cannibalistic element. Yeah, he did have that. And I think there was one more. I think you're right. Yeah, I think there has been a few cannibal episodes from you. Oh, you know what? Hello Kitty. Yes. So you've done three 
episodes involving cannibals, and then one of them was he made people eat other people, which is still, and he also it's like did force, that too. It's force cannibalism. Jennifer coming in strong with the cannibal episodes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> maybe I just find it. What does that disgusting. say about how you feel about society? <laughs> Should oh we God, delve into just... that? <laughs> such a grotesque crime i'm like why do people do this i don't know it's really gross to me i think it's one of the worst i have to talk about this yeah you're shocked and fascinated by it i could never no 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 so there's your half calf episode that was a lot twice for us and you don't know what you want to cover next it's gonna be a surprise yeah okay hopefully i can do a short episode too i'm gonna try we'll see what you what you come up with i'm curious <laughs> we'll see but do we have any other news i don't think so it was in the last episode and we've forgotten about it yeah <laughs> so well i'm sure we'll have some updates next time be two weeks so as always i may be in a house i may be not we're I may hoping be, yeah, i may so. be in a tent on the property if we don't get that co with maybe a possible mental breakdown oh there's been many of those yeah <laughs> Hopefully that's... I think I'm out of those now. You get so many and then it's like, you're just numb you're to just it. Numb. Oh, yeah. gosh. Mm-hmm. No more tears, no more mental breakdowns. It just, I'll be living in my tent on the property <laughs> if we don't get it finished. Poor Summer. <laughs> Send me good vibes or don't, whatever. It's whatever at this okay. point. So until next time. Stay happy. Oh, wait, but first, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Freshly Brew Noir. And then send us an email if you have any show ideas, freshlybrewnoir at gmail.com. And then also leave us a review. Give us five stars. We'd appreciate it. Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And now, until next time, stay caffeinated, get hobbies, and don't murder people. Bye. Bye.